hi everybody and uh, good morning. If this is your first time here online or even if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. Um, our prayer every week is that everyone finds something meaningful. Now, um, if you're watching on YouTube especially, or if you uh, have access to Thrive Church on YouTube when you get home, and you are experiencing a little bit of um, Halloween candy hangover today, go ahead and hit that subscribe button because we want to make sure that uh, you're aware of the things that we're, we're posting from time to time. Anyway, uh, I don't know about you, but I woke up this morning and I'm like, man, what did I eat? And then it dawned on me as, as the light dawned. I'm like, oh, yeah. Little too much chocolate last night. So anyway, if you're feeling that, uh, you got a lot of uh, a lot of sympathy from me, at least. Anyway, I'm so glad that you're here. I really am. Um, this is the first week in November. How many of you are like shocked? It's November, yeah. right? I mean, wasn't it just like I don't know? It was like yesterday. It was June, and we were you know trying to wonder what the new normal looked like. And you know, here we are in November, still asking the same question. By the way, right? Yeah. Uh, I know. Anyway, so if you are watching online, I'm so glad that you are here too, and um, I, I hope that um, uh, you still feel a part of things. I know Pastor James is interacting with everyone online, and uh, it's, it's good to be able to at least do that. So um, if you're choosing to do that to feel safe, awesome. Glad that you're still a part of it digitally. Um, I was thinking about this uh, not too long ago. I saw a reference to the Spanish flu, which was earlier in the last century, and I thought, my goodness, how did churches operate then? And uh, at least now we can at least we can do something like this, which is good. Anyway, um, I want to start this morning with um, <laughs> with the Bible, <laughs> with a scene from the Bible, and I'm going to pull this up. We're going to be in Mark uh, chapter 12. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you might want to jump there. Um, otherwise, I'll have it here on the screen. I kind of want to walk through this with you a little bit, <clears throat> we're gonna talk about it. So, Mark chapter 12, beginning with verse 13, here we go. Later, they, and there's some question about who they is, but most likely religious authorities, uh, sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. Interesting. So you have Pharisees who are uh, religious conservatives, and you have Herodians who um, are Jewish people who support uh, Herod, who was the puppet ruler of Rome. Now, under normal circumstances, these two parties would not have anything in common. In fact, they would probably most likely hate each other. And yet, they have a common enemy, supposedly, in Jesus. And so, um, they, most likely the Sanhedrin, which is the governing body of the uh, Jewish, Jewish religious elite, <clears throat> sent some Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. Verse 14, they came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay uh, no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? What's happening here? Interesting. There's a good chance that you've read this passage before at some point. But it's an, it's an odd sort of thing, and it's a little abrupt, isn't it? All of a sudden, oh, we know, you know, you're a good guy. Should we pay the tax to Caesar or not? Oh, yeah. 
Is Jesus really going to talk about taxes here? Is that what he's going to talk about? And what does this have to do with voting? I mean, our series here is how to vote like a Christian. This is part two of that. Um, Is Jesus going to get all political on us here for a moment? I wanted to do this series for a number of reasons. But before I get to that, I want to remind you, number one, that I am not going to tell you who to vote for. Um, I don't think that's wise. Um, Frankly, probably nothing I say is going to change your mind anyway, so I'm not even going to try. And then there are certain implications that the church would have to deal with the IRS, and I really don't want to mess with them. Thank you very much. So uh, I will not tell you who to vote for. I also understand that I might aggravate some people through this, but um, most of you who know me know that I'm okay with that. Um, Jesus pretty much aggravated everybody, as we'll soon see. And uh, so I'm in pretty good company. Um, And then third, based on what we talked about last week, is that if if you're going to be a Christian and you're going to attempt to bring your Christianity to bear in all aspects of your life, then you need to apply your faith not just to the political party, but also to the character of the candidates. Okay? So uh, that was last week's sermon. Um, you can go back online and, and uh, look at that. But my concern here, and the thing that I think that's driving me the most with this series, is that in, in many respects, here in this country, since probably the mid-80s uh, to late 80s, as, as I recall, is that Christians have, have been uh, reduced more or less to a voting block. And that bothers me for a num- number of reasons. Because a voting block can be, um, can be bought and can be manipulated. And I think that in the process of, I'm going to use inflammatory language, um, to selling out to a political solution, what we've done is we've lost our prophetic voice. And here's what I mean by prophetic voice, in, in case you don't know. Um, the prophetic voice is the ability to call all parties um, back to God, or back to a higher standard, or at the very least, back to some wisdom, right? So keep that in mind, is that, that the ability to call people, all parties back, is the prophetic voice. And if we're just a voting block for one party or the other, then we, you know, we've lost that prophetic voice. And I, think, I don't think that's what the kingdom of God is about, and I don't think that's what Jesus has in mind, and, and I think we'll, we'll be able to see it in this story here shortly. So let's get back to the story, or, or more importantly, let's talk a little bit about the backstory. okay? What's, what's happening here? As you know, um, my belief is that the, <clears throat> the scriptures were not written in a vacuum, and so there's always some type of historical context as well as a literary context, and so I, I want to deal with some of the history here. So this opening scene, we find Jesus is in a rather familiar position. Um, he's being tested. Now, Normally speaking, um, and most of you have heard me say this before, that it was very common for rabbis, for teachers, to test each other. Um, And this makes perfect sense, because if you had a rabbi that was in a village or a city, and there was a wandering rabbi who came through, well, in order to protect his community or his congregation, there would be certain tests, certain things that they would talk about. There would be a dialogue. It was very common. 
And so earlier on in Mark, we see this happening left and right. We see Jesus being tested. They were testing him. And, and kind of the American sensibility is, oh, well, you know, there must be conflict. Mm-mm. No, not at that point. Here it's a little bit different, okay? Jesus has su- su- sufficiently irritated the religious elites, and they're not just testing him, they're challenging him. And that's what we see in this particular, in this particular text. So um, it's a very different feel. And, and, and Mark gives us the reason. They're trying to catch him in his words. That's not testing his theology. That's setting him up, right? I mean, you can see this. And so they ask this question um, about uh, paying the tax. Do we pay the tax to Caesar or not? Now, here's the thing about taxation, and this is really important. When you have a fiercely independent people group like the Jewish people, the fact that they have to pay a tax uh, to somebody other than their own is a constant reminder that they have been conquered and they are being occupied, and that just rubs them the wrong way. And you would feel the same way. Um, Keep that in mind. Um, which is really kind of interesting to me, and this is kind of a sidebar, and I'm, I'm not sure what I'm really saying by this, but I think it's kind of interesting that uh, paying taxes was something that um, the early people group you know, really rebelled against, and yet uh, for most Christians today, paying your, paying your taxes just feels like a moral obligation, doesn't it? I don't know what that means, but it's interesting. But here's what's at stake, and I think this is the important thing. So they're trying to catch him in his words. Do we pay the tax to Caesar or not. What do we do here? If Jesus says, yes, you should pay the tax, he risks alienating most of his followers. Now, what's interesting here is we are in chapter 12, but in chapter 11, it's the triumphal entry. It's when Jesus comes to Jerusalem and they are hailing him as a king. The expectation was that Jesus was going to set up the kingdom of Israel again. And if that's the case, you're not going to be paying taxes to anybody. See see how that works? So consequently, you have this this, uh, um, political aspect to it among Jesus' own followers. They thought that he was going to do this, and there was going to be an uprising, and you know, and if he says, yes, you should pay the tax, then, then they're, they're not going to be happy about that. So he loses some of his momentum. He loses some of his power. And frankly, it is the, it is the threat of the crowd that keeps the religious leaders from moving against Jesus, at least at this point. Okay? So there's some politics that are going on here, and we have to, we have to recognize that. Now, on the other hand... Contrastly, if he says, no, don't pay the tax, then what happens? Now he's in trouble with the Romans. And in, in our language, they've got, they've got more guns. They've got more swords. They've got more boots on the ground. They've got quite a bit of military might, and they get to write the rules. So you see the rock and the hard place. 
lose your followers or be in trouble with Rome. Now, I'll tell you, um, I think, in, in my mind, this is a brilliant move on the part of the religious leaders. They have given him a binary answer, yes or no, yes or no. And either one puts him in a very difficult position. Either he loses momentum or he is seditious. One way or the other, he's in trouble. And they set him up for that and try to trap him in his words. So let's see what Jesus does here, shall we? Because this is really interesting. I think this is important. Here we go. Should we pay or shouldn't we? That's the ultimate question. But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asks. He smells it. He knows it. Bring me a denarius and let me take a look at it. Okay, so this is kind of, actually it's kind of funny. In chapter 11, after the triumphal entry, Jesus has this little uh, interchange with uh, a group of religious leaders, some elites. And one of the things they ask him is, by whose authority are you doing this? So in chapter 11, they're questioning his authority. And here in 12, you've got these two uh, political parties, Pharisees and Herodians, who are now working together, claiming that he has authority. And it's like, you're using flattery, and Jesus is like, really? Really? This is, this is the direction you're going to take this? Because we all know Jesus is so susceptible to flattery, right, throughout the entire text. Well, of course not. And so he sees the trap for what it is. Not only does he see the, the tenor of it, the, the atmosphere that they're creating, or the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? They're, they're just trying to slide this question in. He actually sees the binary nature of the question and what can happen. So what does he do? He asks for a denarius. Okay, here's a denarius. Pretty cool, right? It's a Roman piece of silver. And uh, in this case, at this particular time, the Roman emperor was a man named Tiberius. In fact, this is a coin with Tiberius's image on it. And so he asks to see this silver coin. Now, a couple of things about the denarius. First of all, this coin, and it's, a, it's about that big. It's actually quite small. But that coin would be roughly a day's wages, okay? Just so that you have an idea of the value of this thing. So you have the silver coin, roughly a day's, a day's wage. <clears throat> and um, it's the only thing that you could pay your taxes to Rome with. It's, it's the only form of money, only form of currency, only form of money that you could actually pay. I call it money because it's actually silver, so it really is money, it's not just currency. And so, consequently, the only thing that you could pay that was acceptable was this. So if you had a coin that was minted by another government or somewhere else in the world, that's fine. You could have that. It just didn't qualify for taxation. So you would have to go and exchange your money, whatever you had, for Roman money. And you know that exchange rate wasn't fair. You know it wasn't. And so consequently, you'd have to have this, this little, little coin in order to pay it. And that was throughout the empire. It wasn't just in Israel. It didn't matter where you were in the Roman Empire. The denarius was the only way that you could pay the tax. Now, the picture on this is uh, of Tiberius, like I said. And the inscription says something to the effect of Tiberius, son of divine Augustus. 
son of divine Augustus. So in ancient Rome, you had what was called the Roman cult, where emperors were considered divine. And so the term son of God that we read in our Bible was actually a term that was in use for the sons of the Caesar. Or Caesar, whoever that was, was the son of God. See how there could be a little conflict there? And what's more, to make it even more interesting, that in Jewish religion, you, you were not allowed to worship an image a graven image. How many of you have heard that somewhere in your life, right? So consequently, you had a divine entity supposedly on a coin, and if you were using it, there were a number of Jews who really felt like that was a form of worship, and you couldn't do that. So not only were there political implications, economic implications to this, there were also religious ones. So when they ask if you could pay the tax to Caesar, do you see how much other baggage is in that question? Yeah. So when we read through this, and we're just kind of like, you know, 21st century Americans, it's really easy to miss some of the other stuff that's going on. And so consequently, Jesus is put in this position, and he asks for this coin. So... Uh, by the way, if you would like to own a denarius, you can probably pick one up for around two grand on eBay. So just FYI, if you're interested in that sort of thing. So here it is. There's Tiberius. Good looking fellow, right? No. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Verse 16. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Right? So he takes that, now you've seen it, you know what it looks like, and he asks, what do you see there? So he's, he's getting at some of this religious stuff, and he's getting at some of this political stuff. He says, what do you see there? And it's a simple question and answer. And, and here's the thing, it's a binary answer, right? They, they understand that there's really only one answer here. And there's this dramatic tension that's beginning to mount because you can imagine this crowd going, what is Jesus going to say? Because, I mean, he's pretty much screwed either way that he goes. And yet here he is talking about the coin. What on earth is he going to say here? And Caesar's, they reply, pretty easy. It's not a trick question. Jesus made sure that it wasn't a trick question. What do you see on here? Very easy. Verse 17, then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God, what is God's? And they were amazed at him. Wait, what? <laughs> what just happened there? Because that just seems really odd, right? For, for a couple reasons. Um, <laughs> did Jesus make a choice or didn't he? Did, did he actually give them an answer of what, of yes or no? Did he, did he, did he take the bait on either one of them? I mean, what? Was he actually trapped by the thing that was said? And what's more, you've got these two opposing groups who are working together. They think that they've trapped him, and now they're amazed? Wait a second. What was going on here? Well, I'm going to try to take a shot at this, if you don't mind. So you have this coin that was minted and distributed by Caesar. Okay? So you got this coin that everyone saw. And the fact that they brought him the coin 
Every person knew what that coin was. Moreover, all of them used it for commerce or at least to pay their taxes. Because it's really, really difficult to not pay your taxes when you're staring down a Roman spear. Okay? Acceptance and usage acknowledged Caesar's authority. Straight up. You all know what this is. You, you know whose image is on it. You have accepted it, and you don't like it, but you've accepted it, and you use it. That's what Jesus is, is saying here. And so you're obliged to pay the tax in that case. And Jesus was simply pointing that out. This is Caesar's. The emperor coined it. They use it. And so the emperor has a right to demand a certain amount of tribute for it. Think of it this way. You use an American dollar, right, that's printed, or you've got coinage that is struck. And in this particular case, um, like with all money, the government has the right to tax at the very minimum to cover the cost of printing and striking coins. See what I mean? It costs money to do that. And so at the very minimum... Um, they have to cover those costs. And so really, what the, we give to the government what's theirs to start with. We use a currency, either the, the paper bill or we use the, the coin. And so consequently, it's theirs to start with. Now we all accept it, but the point is, is that it's, it's theirs to begin with. It, it comes from somewhere. And so here we have Jesus pointing this out about the coin. This is Caesar's. And you need to render to Caesar what is Caesar's. It was his to begin with. But there's a bigger issue. And Jesus is trying to point this out. And the, the key to all of, all of this is the word image. Whose image do you see on the coin is what Jesus asks. But then he says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's. So here's the question. Whose image do you bear? Whose image do you bear? In case you don't know, I'm going to help you. Genesis chapter 1. Right at the very beginning, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And when Jesus uses this idea of image, there is a reference back to this idea, and every Jew would know it. It's not the graven image that Jesus cares about. It's the image of God in every person. You see that? In Latin, we call it amago Dei, the image of God. And it's this powerful concept that every person you meet bears the imprint of the divine. Everyone, including those you disagree with. Every person has value because they're made in the image of God. 
It's easy to forget that, I think. It's so much easier to vilify or demonize someone else. It makes it easier to disregard them. Frankly, it makes it easier to kill them. But the point is, they're made in the image of God. One scholar put it this way, because humans bear the image of God, we owe total allegiance to him. We were his to start with, ultimately. And if you claim to be a Christian, then what you are ultimately saying is Jesus is Lord. This is the most fundamental and ancient of confessions. If you would have asked an early Christian what their confession was, what they were actually saying when they called themselves a Christian, they would say, I'm saying Jesus is Lord, which is almost more seditious than not paying a tax because the divine Augustus was God. And the early Christians were saying, no, we don't believe that. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, not America, not Republicans, not Democrats, not capitalists or socialists, not whoever is elected or appointed to whatever position in government. Jesus is Lord, and given the way we attack each other, it seems to me that we think otherwise. Friends, I'm just going to say this as bluntly as I possibly can. In the history of the world, some 2,000 years, this election, yeah, it's critical, it's important, but it is just one of many. And the thing that I want to remind you of when you go to the polls, if you haven't already, is that God is still on the throne and the White House is not the throne room. I want you to remember that. If Jesus is Lord, you can take a very long view of events. You can see down a much longer road. Please, if you've not voted already, I want you to vote your conscience. You need to do that. You need to participate. I don't, frankly, care who you vote for because whoever's in the White House doesn't change my job at all. Influence is what I do and how I do it. Maybe that's true, but it doesn't actually change my job. I'm still about being a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to continue to do that. Whether I'm being paid for it or doing something else, that's still part of who I am and what I need to do. But, vote your conscience, but know where your ultimate allegiance actually lies. If you are made in the image of God, and you are, and you claim to be a Christian, and that Jesus is your Lord, that's where your allegiance is. And so you can vote with a certain amount of freedom, knowing full well that whoever's in the White House, God still is in, is in contact with you. And if you are choosing to connect with him on a daily or weekly basis in some way, shape, or form, he has got ideas and plans and thoughts for you to actually engage with the people around you. Regardless of the political system that you live in, we don't live in a totalitarian environment like, like ancient Rome. We actually can participate in it. For that, I am very thankful for. But ultimately, 
The real question is not who you voted for, the real question is how did you treat your neighbor? How did you treat the waitress or waiter if you were actually sitting down and having, having lunch or dinner somewhere? How did you treat the person at the grocery store or the checkout? Oh, and by the way, uh, Christmas is coming and shopping and let's have a little grace and mercy for the retail workers, shall we? Yes. They will know we are Christians by our love. Yes. Made in the image of God. If we are going to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, then we render unto God what is God's. We are God's. We are saying Jesus is Lord. In the ballot box, whoever you choose to vote for, whatever ideology, whatever vision for the future, believe me, God's vision is bigger and it includes you. Don't forget that this voting season. Don't forget, even in the aftermath, as ugly as it's probably going to get in one way, shape, or form, who knows what that's going to look like on Wednesday. But ultimately, if God is still on the throne and you are made in his image, you are his, render unto him what is his. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful that we live in this country where we can actually participate in who rules us. And there are certainly question marks about our system, but there is about every system. And on Tuesday, we all go and decide what that vision of the future is going to be. Oh God, help us to see the bigger one. Help us to see your throne and you sit seated upon it. <clears throat> not someone else but you. And help us to take that into our daily, from the moment we put our feet on the floor to the moment our head hits the pillow at night to understand that we are yours and we are saying that you are Lord. And may that motivate us to be peacemakers, May that motivate us to be truth seekers, to be wisdom tellers, to be seekers of the Almighty, to be in your presence, to be lit up with the presence of the living God and that that might be the beacon of hope for all people that we come in contact with. Oh God, help us to see the bigger one. Thank you, Lord, um, that you met with us today, that you've given us this beautiful story Lord, help us to learn how to live that out in a very real way. Pray this all in Jesus' name, everybody said.